This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here, by golly, in Coach Hogg's locker room here in the piney woods of north central Florida in the well, Mellon Law Studio protected by crime prevention. And we got to thank all our sponsors, of course, for uh, taking care of us and our production for helping us produce the show. And uh, we'll talk about the weather here, which is a little uh, quantum change here locally where we are. But, you know, this is the big Coach Hall locker room Monday. And boy, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, there's amazing things that have gone on in sports over the weekend. I would say that it's one of the most packed weekends for sports that I've seen and I've enjoyed. And um, it's really a, a something to behold when you when you see everything from the World Cup to the, um, um, you know, the Gators and, um, and NFL, the whole bit. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, packed weekend. So um, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And the first thing I want to talk about, of course, is the remarkable games that were played in the NFL. The NFL has managed to become very, very interesting in the way it's worked out. It's We're going to talk about this today. Uh, teams can have draft selections and end up, you know, poor teams becoming good teams, and it, it keeps it very interesting. And one of my favorite teams, of course, to watch has always been the Jacksonville Jaguars because – I've been critical of a franchise being there in the first place. I don't think that Jacksonville can support the team like the other big cities can, perhaps. That's arguable, of course. And, of course, the stadium is um, its not what you're going to see the Dallas Cowboys play in and places like that. Uh, but it is a, it is a, a stadium. <laughs> and um, generally, it's had kind of low in attendance. They've actually had to block off some of the seats and make it look as if there are more people there than actually were there. Uh, but they've done a couple of pretty interesting things. They've gotten a really good coach, and he's brought out the best in these players by far. You can see that. And he's really learned how to use this quarterback who's becoming, you know, one of the best of, of quarterbacks in the NFL. Boy, has he got a dart for an arm, quick release, and he's learning that position very, very well. And yesterday was an absolute thriller as they beat the Dallas Cowboys. And they beat it on a immaculate reception revisited. If you recall, the immaculate uh, reception originally was Franco Harris in the Pittsburgh Steelers game, clear back in the 70s, I think, when Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback. And by golly, we had one of those kind of catches yesterday in an overtime and the um, run back for a victory for the Jaguars, which was a tremendous accomplishment for them. They're, they're still not out of the playoff picture. They possibly could be considered as one of the wild card playoff team members. So if you haven't been paying attention to them, uh, it's really 
<laughs> it's really a remarkable kind of comeback for them. Uh, the other team that played on a Saturday night was just a classic battle of games outside in the northern climate. Complete with snow, frozen field, uh, last-minute heroics. Um, this Josh Allen is a tremendous quarterback. He was the difference. There was a fake punt involved. It made a big difference. But, boy, was it a contested game uh, with uh, the Dolphins' young quarterback. Tua, and, wow, was it fun to watch. And it was particularly fun to watch when the snow started coming down. And, actually, the Buffalo Bills were penalized for throwing their fans throwing snowballs at the Dolphins. So uh, that was an interesting uh, use of the uh, penalty system in the NFL to, to see the fans penalized for throwing snowballs. So it was that was an exciting game. Um, of course, I uh, admittedly, although my mother was a soccer player in college, um, I never have known much about. We did play soccer when I was in, uh, you know, grade school and whatnot. We had playground soccer, and it was a run-run game and a lot of fun. But I never really uh, picked it up or understood it completely. And I really have been sort of disinterested in it until yesterday. And the World Cup game yesterday between Argentina and France. You know, if nothing else, you got to take it off your hat off to those guys. They run continuously. That is an amazing feat to do what they do with their bodies and run, run, run. Uh, somebody criticized them for maybe faking an injury. I don't know if it's a fake injury, but if probably is a device by which you can catch your breath. If somebody steps on your foot or kicks you in the head, lie there for a while till you catch your breath because it's the only chance you're going to get in that game. That is a fantastic game yesterday. If you watched it, if you didn't get a chance to watch it, you really ended up um, drawing the world's attention to this sport, which came down to a cliffhanger there also. So you had cliffhangers in uh, two NFL games at least, and we could see in our area, and cliffhangers in Qatar with this fantastic world championship in soccer. Um, what a what a deal that was, and I want to commend the people who who uh, who watched it and turned me on to watching it. The other thing, of course, which uh, we would be remiss in uh, talking about is the Gator sports world. And first of all, I want to commend uh, Coach uh, Kelly Ray Finley, who won again yesterday, I think has a 10-1 record. Uh, and, and is really doing well and has recruited some very good players. Uh, got a transfer in there from Purdue. Um, that, that if you, I'm encouraging you to go see this team play. Now, I'm not going to say that they're going to win all of them by any stretch of the imagination. There's some tough SEC women's teams. Uh, but I suspect this team can hold its own. It will lose some, but it's also going to be exciting to watch. And it's very well coached. And that is important in this day and time that the coach has a rapport with these players. And I think this coach, from what I've watched, has a wonderful rapport with the players. They, they respect her. They listen to her. She has a kind of charm about her that engages them and, and they engage her. And um, it's, it's a fun sport to watch. 
and it's beginning to draw a bigger base. And I think as the season goes along, you'll see it draw a bigger base. You can stream it uh, on Amazon, I think, and watch it, which I did yesterday because I was watching simultaneously uh, Lady Gator basketball and uh, the Jaguar game simultaneously side by side. So it was an interesting afternoon. And I want to alert you to the fact that you need to keep your eye on the University of Florida Lady Gators basketball team. To the Gator, boy, I'm telling you, I got a little issue here. I just heard my smoke alarm. Uh, you know how they do when the battery gets low? It just chirped. And uh, <laughs> the smoke alarm here in the combat center here uh, in the Warthog Command Center, you may hear this thing. I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to change a battery on it uh, <laughs> until uh, the show's over. But I can tell you, uh, get ready. You'll hear a chirp. And these darn things chirp intermittently for, I don't know, every, every few minutes until they irritate you enough that you change them. So I just heard it. And uh, I, <laughs> there you are. Unexpected involvement of the uh, world of electronics. You know, we are protected here, fire and security by crime prevention. That's a crime prevention battery powered uh, smoke detector. So uh, we'll get our change, but we won't get a change before the show is over. And every time it beeps, I may jump a bit. Um, gator, bat, uh, gator football. Well, you know, as they say, it is what it is. There it goes again. I, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Um, the Gator football is what it is. It's, it's, it's so much discussion about it. And one school discussion is, of course, they should never have gone. Um, they didn't have a chance of winning. Uh, the university just used it as a payday. Um, et cetera. You've heard all that. Um, and I can't really find that many positive reasons for them to go. Uh, it's not a recruiting positive. It's not an image builder. Um, I apologize for that production. I can't do anything about it beeping right over my head. Um, so, so it is what it is. It's, it's a sound. It's, it's just a, it's one of the most embarrassing moments for University of Florida football that I've seen and I've watched University of Florida football since 1961. I mean, it, it, it's really bad, it, terribly bad. Um, but I wanna go into some of the culture in which this game took place. And I wanna spend a little time with it. And it's kind of the title of the show today because this is so indicative of what's going on in our society. You know, there's a saying that by a society sports, you can judge a society's values. And I've always thought about that. And I've always felt that the one which epitomized the society's values perhaps the most in our culture was football. So a publication called Scorch Scroll, uh, which a research team member uh, sent me this and I went over it, I wanna share it with you, has done a very thorough analysis, most thorough analysis I've seen so far of the NIL program, the name image likeness program. It is, it is really, uh, it is really, um, really something. I, I don't know what else to say to you about it. It's, um, 
<laughs> just looking for the story here on that to look at for on the break. It is really something how this name image likeness has changed college sports forever. Um, I've talked to some of the people who are really in the know in this world, and they think it'll, it'll take 10 years to straighten this out if we can ever get it straightened out. But I want to go through um, Sports Scrolls analysis of the NIL program with you, enter this into the classroom discussion, uh, put it into the uh, library of discussions and thought, and I'll let you think about it. There are a lot of unforeseen consequences to this NIL system, name image likeness. And what name image likeness means is it allows college athletes to earn money by selling access to their names, their image, and their likeness. Likeness is an interesting term. Uh, uh, likeness is what? I don't know. Uh, what does that encompass? It's a very big umbrella of language, if you ask me. But we know what the name means. It means you can make money off your name. We know what image means. We can make, really, it means brand. It, uh, you get a kind of a brand and you have an image. Uh, so there, there, this has now become the program for college athletes. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that... Uh, uh, teams are officially, officially paying their players. Officially, they will tell you they're not paying their players. Um, but this NIL program has had a profound effect on schools, teams, players, fans. And the players are now bouncing around among teams while the boosters uh, play a role in influencing these teams. Um, the problem is uh, that it's difficult, and Sports Scroll talks about this, it's difficult um, uh, to, and Sports Illustrated has talked about it as a reference to a Sports Illustrated article and what I'm discussing with you. It's, it's, it's difficult to monitor who is actually putting the money into uh, these shadow programs known as collectives, which are kind of just bank accounts that uh, are outside any kind of real monitoring. Um, nobody has a grip on it. it it's, um, it, it's not clear who the collectives are composed of. And it's one of the biggest challenges that teams are facing. Uh, Nick Saban, even uh, accused Texas A&M, you might remember this, and Jimbo Fisher of purchasing their roster, just outright buying their roster. So what this has done, uh, very first, it's already done, it's made many of the top players already very rich. Uh, it's a life-changing moment for them and their families. They have an opportunity. The rumor is that I get that Richardson was paid a million dollars uh, and he didn't think that was enough. He could get more. I can't confirm that. I've been told that, but he's paid, but he can get more by going into the, um, the draft and NFL. We don't know how good he is. And that's the other strange thing about all this. He's an unproven player. He has flashes of talent, but, you know, he didn't produce as much as expected from that talent. And yet he commands, 
a handsome return on it. Um, now, some of the college players are actually wealthier than some of their NFL compatriots, some of the NFL players. Um, so this is um, when these college players do make it to the NFL locker rooms, and only about 1% of college players make it to the draft, make it to the pros, about 1%. Uh, the, the reasoning is, will that present uh, tensions in the locker room? Nobody really knows what this is going to do on team unity, either at the college level or at the pro level. So the boosters even influence high school players. Um, they can reach down into the high schools and, you know, boost, if you will, a play, high school player's interest in a college. And that high school player can receive money, but he doesn't necessarily own allegiance to the college that boosted him, if you will. Uh, so they're putting together packages for stars, and primarily it's football. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, it's not, we're going to get into that, how it's not equally distributed among all the sports. So most college players know that they won't make it to the NFL. So you take it like a guy like Richardson. He may not pan out in the NFL. He may not have the ability, but he's going to take the money now and run uh, because it's his opportunity to get there. Now, if he gets there and they can produce a, a quality in him that perhaps is untapped right now, maybe they can uh, get a return on their investment. It'll be interesting to see where he's drafted, what kind of money he gets, and uh, whether or not he's made a good decision. But in terms of his where he's come from, it, it, it really won't matter because he's already profited financially from really very limited playing time. So uh, what may happen is jealousy may arrive, uh, arise among these players. And because some of the supporting cast, and you saw this in the Florida bowl game, the supporting cast that were the linemen, regular so to speak, average players for Richardson didn't make any money. And they were the guys who blocked for him. Uh, they were the guys who ran routes for him. Uh, on the defensive side, they're the ones who tried to get the ball back for him. They didn't make any money. So the jury's out on what that is going to do for team unity because these guys are going to look across the line there and say, hey, wait a minute here. Now, what about me, you know? It's just normal that players would do that. Um, so these players, like Richardson and these other fellows, uh, they're not—they're not really making that money by themselves. They have a team around them, but that team around them is not making the money. Now, the scholarship argument is that um, really most of the, a lot of the players, the scholarship is not what they're after. They're after an opportunity to get into the pros, even though. Only 1% of them will make it. They don't finish college. Or if they do go to college, they don't get what really may be considered a, a, a college degree of substance. Some of them do, um, but, but a lot of them don't. So um, these players who really need the benefits of a college education, uh, the scholarship is still what attracts them, but they're going to be disproportionately rewarded. and the student hyphen athlete thing 
is going to become just more and more of a, a misnomer, if you will. So uh, plus these highest paid players, Richardson, they don't, the education's moot for him. He's left at the end of his sophomore year. Obviously, he didn't come to the University of Florida to be a student hyphen athlete. He, that wasn't, that's not even on his radar because he's leaving from having made so much money already because of name image likeness. And then obviously taking an opportunity to make more in of the NFL. So there's a stark discrepancy, uh, the article here from the Sports Illustrated and Sports uh, Magazine here uh, says in the earning power uh, among the different positions on the team. Um, this has the potential, a lot of the coaches feel, to tear a locker room apart. Uh, a lot of dissension can develop. So when the quarterback is driving a fancy car and has all kinds of money from various deals, what about the lineman whose name you can never recall um, as a fan, um, who's blocking for him, doesn't get anything? Uh, as we say, 1% of players go to the NFL. But this NIL program is changing the way players look at their marketability, their name, image, and we say the mysterious term likeness. Um, the uh, uh, Texas has been under the microscope. It has been, uh, Texas is a very wealthy state, as you know, and it's uh, there they have a donor group that's gathered $10 million to entice the best players to the teams there. And Texas A&M has already been publicly criticized by Nick Saban because he, Saban says, Texas A&M essentially bought their entire roster. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that Texas A&M did well, which is also another problem. Those guys who came to Texas A&M, who were bought by the booster money, don't have to stay at Texas A&M. Uh, they can go to another team and be yet parlayed by them and bid and play at another college. So uh, this whole situation is basically out of control. Uh, it's uh, nobody thought it through and the NCAA sanctioned it. Um, they don't have a clue now how to get it under control. Uh, the biggest issue, however, probably with the NIL program is that there's no equalizer for small schools. Small schools are not going to have the money, okay? Uh, they're not going to be able to attract the players. It used to be, I, I had friends who were scouts for the NFL, and they would deliberately, once upon a time, scout these small colleges. They would find a, a, a Tutal Jones there who was an all-pro for the Cowboys. They'd find him at a small school somewhere. That's not necessarily what's going to happen now. If there's a Tutal Jones out there, uh, he's not necessarily going to go to one of the small schools. He's going to go wherever the highest bidder is. So the NFL draft, however, as we were talking about a moment ago, has really figured this out so that the worst uh, uh, teams get the best young players. And that's, that's really how you get parity. Uh, if you, if, you know, that's how Jacksonville got uh, Lawrence. Is, they were the worst team. They got the first pick. That's kind of the way, it, but there's nothing like that for college sports. 
There's no equivalent uh, spending cap either. Um, we have a spending cap in, in the NFL, but we don't have any spending cap in the NIL. Um, anybody who can come up with a deep pocket can, so I, I liken it to launder. You can launder the money. It's outside the university purview. It's in this private bank, so to speak, called the collective. And uh, the, there's the, the money's gathered up and distributed as needed. So there's a lot of problems here. Uh, Florida looks so poor, did so poorly in their game. Uh, I don't know if you could buy the players to come to Florida. You know, we'll see. Uh, the Florida Stadium, in terms of really modern, it's, it's old. It needs to be completely redone. There are no railings. It doesn't pass the handicap provisions. It's uh, it, it's just really been around uh, a little. It needs complete revision, reconstruction. That's another thing that uh, sort of nags behind in terms of fan interest. Uh, no parking. You have to park way away to come to a Florida football game. It's not very uh, attractive to people. They just don't. They just don't want to have to put up with that. So um, the the um, uh, Florida, in a way, is operating sort of like a small school now. It, it doesn't have the kind of, of things that would attract. Now that it's made this embarrassing public display of of, of, of player talent. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, how many positions can you buy? And, you know, you can't just buy a quarterback and have that quarterback do well if there's nobody to support him around. And we don't have an NIL program that even begins to uh, work like the NFL draft does. And we don't have a spending cap. Meanwhile, there's positional bias, as uh, we understand here uh, from a sports scroll. Uh, positional bias means that, think about this. If you're a pretty good running back, uh, or even a quarterback, like Chris Collingsworth was a quarterback. Well, they moved him to wide receiver because he was tall, he had good hands, he could run well. Okay, well, Chris turned up going to the Cincinnati Bengals as a wide receiver. Nowadays, in the NIL days, let's say you had a good running back, he would try to play. Wide receivers are some of the most, uh, some of the highest paid players in the NFL. So what's that going to do? If you've got a talent, what do you want to play? You know, I can tell you that the most important part of the team in terms of learning how a team works is the, uh, is the offensive line. When I started coaching, you know, I was fortunate enough to have the head coach say to me, what do you want to coach? And uh, you know, the glamour positions are, of course, the wide receivers. But he said, you need to come and shadow me and learn the offensive line. That's where it all starts. That was in absolutely invaluable that I did that. I was in the trenches following the master and learned how that offensive line blocking works. And, of course, you can't learn that without learning the defensive blocking or rushing and the blitzing and all that business. So um, this is going to affect perhaps what young kids are interested in doing. Um, now, uh, you know, the whole concept of being a student now, of course, is uh, fully out in the open 
they'll continue probably to call these people uh, student athletes, but that is really uh, more than ever a misnomer. Now, the other thing that's really not been mentioned that I want to talk about that Sports Scroll does a very good job of. There are, there, there's going to be very little money for uh, swimming. There's going to be a little money for the other sports. Uh, there are a few high-level female athletes that will no doubt get big deals. And one of the reasons they'll get big deals Sports Scroll says is because of their looks. If you're going to go into name, image, and likeness, then you are, if you are quote unquote a hot female uh, and you have skills, you will be marketable. You will definitely, somebody will pay you. And you can take those skills out. And if you're one of these very attractive pole vaulters or any of the other uh, sports, uh, and, and lots of times track has these attractive females some of the sprinters, uh, and then, then you're going to make big bucks. Um, this, is, this, is not, this is different from the uh, name, image, and likeness essential on male athletes. Male athletes are not held necessarily to their appearances, as uh, their physical appearances, as much as females are. And females are not going to be, uh, as sports, getting the kind of uh, collective money that number one football and to some extent basketball is going to get. Um, the teams that will judge their athletes uh, on skills, but also they're going to judge their teams on appearances and social media visibility, so say it, Sports Illustrated. So the other thing that can happen, I've already alluded to this, is players can begin to extort their teams. Uh, they can play one school against another. There are already stories about having been done. Uh, we've talked about it. Uh, there's no restrictions on the transfer portal. And uh, so these players now uh, can play one school against another. They can commit, they can decommit. They can do a lot of things depending upon uh, what type of offers they get. Now, the, to, to sort of sum up, the schools are concentrating essentially their financial uh, 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 collectives on football and basketball because these are the most lucrative and they'll, they'll very little ever, if any, be put into sports like diving and swimming. They just don't de gener generate any revenue. Um, so who's going to help this out? I don't know. There's talk of Congress uh, getting involved. I don't know if Congress is going to get involved. I can't talk about that. But college athletics now, the emphasis on anything else you hear, uh, you better, better weigh it against this. College athletics are all about milking profits. Uh, and now, of course, they once upon a time exploited the students to do that. So the pendulum has swung back. And now the students have a chance to um, make the profits and the schools suffer. Uh, you know, I've always said that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And this is a real good demonstration of this. So some of these players, particularly football, are millionaires before they enter the draft. And uh, sooner or later, the thinking is this is why the NIL program is a failure. But no one seems to be able to predict if and when it can be corrected. Um, 
they're going to pay thousands and thousands of dollars uh, for quarterbacks. Um, they may not do it for the other positions. Um, so a lot of things uh, are are in the balance here. Um, you know, maybe a program like Georgia can survive based upon the, what it's built up, but Southern California is going to be able to offer more money than Georgia. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Certainly there is a, a real uh, kind of uh, evaporation of team loyalty. There's no emphasis now whatsoever on team loyalty. So when you saw the University of Florida Gators, this is kind of my point here, in this bowl game, uh, I didn't see any motivation. I didn't see any will to win. I didn't see any team unity. Um, you can say what you want to about Napier. I don't know, you know, whether he's any good or not. Uh, you know, he's, a, you know, so I don't know what a rebuilding year is. You tell me, what is a rebuilding year? About the best term, I, definition I, is a rebuilding year has been every year since Meyer. <clears throat> uh, before that, rebuilding year was every year since Spurrier. So they're looking around uh, for some way, but it's a different definition of rebuilding too. Uh, Spurrier and Meyer did not work in a culture that had NIL. This coach is going to work in the culture that has NIL. And I don't know how he's going to be able to deal with that. Uh, the scholarship is not going to be the attraction. Um, it's not going to be, um, it's going to be the money. So uh, you have uh, uh, the jury out on this deal. It's uh, even going to change how the NL, NIL program is even going to change how teams scout their athletes. Uh, they're they're going to pursue five-star recruits and analyze them based on their attributes. But they're now going to add marketability uh, to it. And these social programs are going to be figuring into it. Instagram, it's amazing how much these tech programs, platforms have influenced our lives. Um, so um, the NIL program, the bigger schools are going to have all the advantages. And the ones who can be on national TV and look as if it's someplace a kid wants to come uh, will have an advantage, which the University of Florida definitely did not have during this display in this bowl in Las Vegas. We'll be right back in the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company. 
Shoot GTR, on the spot dry cleaners, RR construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We are here really with the weather thanks to Lewis Oil. Well, it is 38 degrees according to my computer right now here in God's country, north central Florida, Piney Woods. And it's probably going to get down a little colder. But the big news is what we're looking forward to in the next week. Uh, much below, according to AP, much below normal temperatures, uh, record low temperatures really leading up to the Christmas holidays in many places. This is due to, quote, unquote, polar air arriving. Um, you saw it coming in in the Buffalo game uh, where Sunday, about 80,000 customers went without power in New England. The um, temperatures in Jackson, Mississippi, are going to go down as low as 13 degrees, um, around 5 degrees in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be the coldest air of the season. It's an Arctic polar blast, and it's going to hit two-thirds of the country just before Christmas, which is the end of this week. It's a massive expanse of frigid temperature, uh, going to cover from the northern Rockies and northern plains all the way to the Gulf Coast and eastern U.S. Um, it is already coming into Montana Sunday night. Uh, we saw a little bit of that in a Montana bowl game there. Um, it is really uh, one of those things that comes and, and does, its, does its deal. It's... Um, in Atlanta, the temperatures, if they're not there already, are going to be below freezing by early today. I suspect they're already free, below freezing right now. Um, see what else AP and says here. It's, um, of course, the homeless and the hungry are going to suffer from this, as you can imagine. Uh, we don't think we're going to have a white Christmas here in Florida, but we're going to have all the cold and heavy wet snow, of course, in parts of New England, which is uh, you know, not totally unaccustomed to such. So that's the big weather story, my friends. We are going to have um, 
a great deal of cold weather coming soon. So it's um it is it is what it is. And uh, looking at some of the chat line here, I think we're okay. Well, um, I want to talk a moment about Title Forty Two. Um, you hear the number, but I want to do a, I did I want to do a little uh, it, you know in, in class today. I want to have a little something discussion about Title Forty Two because. It is scheduled to be uh, to expire Wednesday, unless uh, some of these states can get it to Supreme Court. And of course, the newspaper reports it as Republican states, but they're Democrat mayors and frustrated also by this. So it's uh, bipartisan. So, what is Title 42? I'll uh, do a little research on it. I'll share it with you in case you've forgotten. It's the pandemic era protocol that uh, Trump used to prevent millions of migrants from entering the U.S. to claim asylum. Now, it's supposed to end on December 21st, this December 19th. Um, Trump used it to slow the inflow of coronavirus. Uh, but the way this has been, of course, politicized is the Republicans are using it, continue imposing immigration restrictions. You know, I don't know why they have to write that the Republicans are using it. Anybody with any sense should be concerned about immigration accountability. Um, it is it's just, I'll just give you an example of some of the frustrating things about this. Um, there is a, 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 Biden has put, and I'm going to get into this more detail in a minute, um, a, a new person in charge of of this immigration world. And um, it's, the language in its mission statement has changed its mission statement to include words like welcome and respect for immigrants after the Trump administration emphasized securing the homeland. Now you get the difference? You get the difference? Under Trump, the immigration policies emphasized criteria that would secure the homeland. Under Biden, the mission statement has changed to emphasize words like welcome and respect for immigrants. Did you know this? Did you know this? Probably not. Well, why? Why? Now, Trump had also removed the phrase nation of immigrants from the agency's mission statement. And of course, the immigrant rights groups, uh, they um, didn't like that either. So the Title 42 is a public health authority, it's not an immigration policy. We don't have any immigration policy that I can find other than the change in the mission statement to welcome them. So these people are stacked up on, along the river there, getting ready to bust across the, they know this, bust across the river on Wednesday 
Biden tried to end Title 42 in April. But a, a, a Louisiana judge ruled in May that there had to be proper administrative protocol to lift the program. So Texas and places like that are directly impacted, tried to intervene via the courts in an attempt to keep it in place. But a federal appeals court ruled just Friday that the policy must end on Wednesday. So the Texas governor and some other GOP-led states, but you know, we even got Newsom, the governor of California, griping about this, is going to try to get the Supreme Court to intervene. So the critics of Title 42 say that it's cost nearly 2.5 migrants the right to seek asylum in the U.S. from hardship in their home countries. Well, come through a systematic way, which right now we don't have. So meanwhile, the fallout from the end of Title 42 is you haven't seen anything yet. It's going to strain resources on legal representation, courts, housing, schools. And it doesn't move the debate over U.S. immigration policy a step closer to being held. It just kicks the can down the road. Because for some strange reason, Biden is not interested in having that debate. The fact remains that the immigration system is overstretched, inefficient. This is written about it in AEP, AMP. It's written about it even in the Washington Post. Even the Washington Post. The average wait time for immigration cases has skyrocketed. In 1998, it took about a year. In 2021, it, took, it takes two and a half years. Because we don't have a clear policy, a clear protected border, we stack this stuff up in the courts and the people languish, get dumped into social programs, which cost the taxpayers. Meanwhile, all these political leaders in these border states, the El Paso mayor is a Democrat and he's issued a state of emergency for El Paso. At press conference Saturday, he said, we're not going to be able to, this is going to crash. We can't handle this. You know, people are already sleeping on the streets. We don't have the shelter capacity. There are literally thousands of people. Imagine this. Thousands of people getting ready to crash into just El Paso. Between 9,000 and 14,000 people 
are expected to cross the southern border each day. Each day. If Title 42 ends on Wednesday. Right now, border crossings are around 6,000 to 7,000 each day. Even Newsom, Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, said it would break his state's immigration processing system and that California cannot fund the services necessary to accommodate these immigrants. Even Newsom is calling on the federal government to step up funding for immigration services and address the country's inadequate immigration system. DeSantis has tried to make a dramatic point of this by sending immigrants to sanctuary cities and keeping them out of Florida because he didn't want the system crashed. This Title 42, since we don't have an immigration policy, is really a part of the 1940, I've learned this, a 1944 Public Health Service Act, which is still in effect. But now they're claiming, well, COVID's under control. You know, the effects of COVID on our culture, man, I've run out of fingers and toes. So now, on the one hand, the political statements are, well, COVID's run its course. Therefore, we don't need to apply Title 42 to immigration. Really? When on the other hand, you hear, oh, my golly, COVID and the flu are getting out of control again. The hospitals are slammed. Put the mask back on. Now, Texas wants the, since we do not have the will, evidently, or the means to face the immigration problem, wants to extend Title 42 for at least another year and use that as a substitute immigration policy framework. Biden, the first day he got in office, you know, nixed the wall, nixed all the immigration policies that Trump had put up. Why? I don't know. Killed Keystone Pipeline. So there you go. Immigration. It absolutely will undo the country in the minds of many people who are observers of national phenomenon. Now, there's a Stanford lawyer by the name of Jado, I believe that's the way you say it, 
who's now the immigration director, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, Biden appointed her, who did the, put the word welcome and respect for immigrants into the mission statement and took out uh, the phrase securing the homeland. Changed, uh, uh, you know, the focus from securing the homeland to respect for the immigrants. Did you know that? Probably not. Meanwhile, people with conservative principles, and there's a fellow named Alfonso Algar, who's president of the Latino Partnership for Conservative Principles, said there was no reason to change the mission statement whatsoever. The exam for being a citizen has been changed to multiple choice. There's no language requirement. Writing, reading is down to reading aloud three provided sentences and writing is tested by having applicants, if they go through the legal system, that's if they actually go through the legal process for citizenship, Applicants have to write down sentences, three sentences, and read them aloud. On the civics test, applicants are asked open-ended questions and have to provide answers. But the new test, the new test is going to give them a question with four possible answers and ask them to choose the right one. You know, a multiple choice test is much easier than a written test because they prompt you. But this new director of the Citizenship and Immigration Services says, oh, now this is the industry standard and best practice. A multiple choice test administered by computer rather than by a spoken examiner. So that is going to eliminate the interaction between the examiner and the applicant's English language skills. <coughs> Did you know this? Did you know this? I guess this is the kind of stuff that YouTube feels threatened by. You know, taking our channel down because we're right now discussing things that are what? Dangerous discussions? Really? Go over to Rumble. Go to Rumble and follow us. For the civics portion of the test, there are six correct answers out of 10 questions. And also, there's going to be possibly, keep your eye on this, a woke component to the test. There you go. 
Now, immigrant rights activists have been chipping away at the immigration test, saying the test is too tough and not enough people pass it. In fact, about 91% pass it. The current test has always required a lot of studying, a lot of engagement with our culture, and has been a meaningful test and has emphasized the definitions and responsibilities of citizenship. In 2019, Trump added material and raised the bar for passage to 12 correct answers out of 20. But guess what? The immigrant advocates said that made the test too hard. And so the Biden administration ditched the part that Trump put in. You don't hear about all this, do you? You just hear about the January 6th thing, right? That's written by Stephen Dinah from the Washington Times. Most interesting, is it not? Most interesting. Tomorrow, I'll probably get into the January 6th findings, if you will, of uh, the committee. Quite interesting. I don't have time now to do the analysis justice, but this is another attempt to stigmatize anybody who dare question the, uh, question the deep state. You have to go look at the immigration right now to see it buried in the mission statement and to see it buried in the immigration test, should there ever be one, to really see what's going on at all levels of the government. And we know from Victor Davis Hansen's analysis that we don't have strong borders. We don't have a country. So we'll keep an eye on it for you. We put that in a classroom discussion today and um, hope you stay warm between now and then. Tomorrow, it'll be a little chilly, but not like it will be towards the end of the week uh, when it's scheduled to become really even here. Well, timely for Christmas. I guess Santa can still make it down the chimney. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.